MSW Media. I'm Greg Oliar. Four years ago, I stopped writing novels to report on the crimes of Donald Trump and his associates. In 2018, I wrote a best-selling book about it, Dirty Rubles. In 2019, I launched Prevail, a bi-weekly column about Trump and Putin, spies and mobsters, and so many traitors! Trump may be gone, but the damage he wrought will take years to fully understand. Join me and a revolving crew of contributors and guests as we try to make sense of it all. This is Prevail. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Clean Up on Aisle 45. This is episode 91. It is October 12th, Wednesday of 2022, and I am coming to you from Cleveland. Woo! I mean... Uh, and, and Andrew <laughs> is with me from the not-so-exciting uh, Spanish waters, uh, off, you know, <laughs> yeah. having left Italy. <laughs> Inter- international waters heading into Barcelona. Um, it's a it's a rough life, but um, I am glad to be back. I had to with the uh, the quality of the guests that you've gotten to replace me. So uh, you know, I did not want this to be clean up on aisle forty five with uh, Ag and Pete Struck from here on out. So uh, I, I was <laughs> like, you know what? I don't care. It's the middle of the night. It's my birthday. I'm a you know a thousand miles away. I'm doing the show. That's right. Happy birthday, Andrew. What are you, 27 now? I mean, something like such, that. Such a prestigious legal career you've built in such a short amount of time. Uh, I can't help but wonder how you did it, like who you know on the inside. Uh, it's truly, Ugh. truly incredible. Not, so, nothing compared to your Rolodex, but uh, but thank you. Nah. Thank you all the same. So. <laughs> No, no, no. I would never, ever pass up an opportunity to to do this show with you because I learn so much from you and, you know, and then, of course, we could could swear together, which is nice. There you go. That's the fun part. Damn, let's swear like damn hell-ass kings. Come on. (laughs) Damn hell-ass kings. (laughs) There's our episode title. All right. So uh, what we want to talk about today is there's some breaking news from Monday and you know we record on Mondays about Christina Babb and her uh, help that uh, she is giving to federal prosecutors it has been uh, confirmed now by multiple uh, media outlets that she has been interviewing with Department of Justice investigators uh, about the Mar-a-Lago documents case. And as we know, Andrew, she went on live television and said, I was never a lawyer. I never did any lawyering <laughs> for that whole thing. 
So she's not an attorney-client privilege thing. She can't do that because she's basically told everyone she, you know, as you know, Andrew, one of the first things you have to establish, and we know this from the Eastman papers, is that there's an attorney-client relationship if you're going to assert attorney-client privilege or work product doctrine privilege. And uh, she just did the opposite of that by telling the world (laughs) (laughs) that she was not an attorney. So there cannot be an attorney-client relationship between her and Donald Trump and Evan Corcoran and Boris Epstein and Jim (laughs) Trustee and Christopher Kyes and any other lawyer who worked on the documents case. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And then I want to talk about how Deary, in a very quiet, subtle way, just killed any irreparable harm argument for Donald Trump in this Mar-a-Lago case with his three-page order from last week. Uh, Pretty intense uh, stuff, but in a very understated kind of, I was appointed by Reagan way, and I'm really excited about it. (laughs) I'm excited about both of those, so... uh... Yeah, let's dive in. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to read from Hugo Lowell's take. Uh, from The Guardian okay. about Christina Babb. We're going to start with Babb. And I have to say, I'm in the Midwest right now. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I like how you were saying that. With Is that a mid, Midwest accent you're going for? I, I It kind of <laughs> has a, a Bostonian kind of, you know, yeah, or Pactica and Harvard Yard sort of Guy, thing going yeah. on. But, yeah, um, yeah. So he says Donald Trump and Christina Babb were instructed to certify to the Justice Department that all sensitive government classified documents stored at Mar-a-Lago had been handed over in that grand jury subpoena that was issued in May, but was responded to in June. Uh, And though she herself had not conducted any search for the records. And of course, this is sourced on people familiar and briefed on the matter, which I assume are Bob's attorneys or attorney. Um, Although it could be Boris Epstein. Uh, this (laughs) This doesn't make him look good, so I doubt it. Um, He goes on to say the certification of subpoena compliance appears to be at the center of a criminal investigation of obstruction of justice surrounding, you know, this whole documents thing. The saga has become increasingly fraught in the courts as Trump has repeatedly claimed the FBI search and resultant investigation is politically motivated, etc. And by the way, he just said in his rally that the documents were mine and and that the National Archives should give them all back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Um, that'd be that'd be nice if you could say that under oath, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was that was what the original. I'm sorry to 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 cut in, but but again, uh, never a chance to pass up uh, outrage at uh, Judge Eileen Cannon, Federalist Society weirdo. Um, the original order that Judge Deary put into place, the original case management order, would have required as every litigant in federal court who's ever been in a position even remotely like this, and again. Not too many get this level of privilege. Um, You have to describe the documents you think are yours when you when you file uh, a motion for return of documents uh, pursuant to the federal rules of criminal procedure. And the the idea that the judge that, that special master Raymond Deary required Trump to certify that. And then we talked about on each of our respective shows. Uh, but but not on this show because the order was uh, <laughs> Judge Cannon sua sponte intervened and reversed that order before you and I could uh, could decompress about it. She did it um, actually while on a Thursday while I was recording opening arguments. Thank, thanks for that. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it, it, I, I just cannot tell you, right, how unprecedented it is, right? Judges appoint special masters. The reason you do that is because as a judge, you say, oh, there's this complex discovery dispute or there's another thing, right? And that's going to be way too much work for me, right? I'm a judge. I got all, you know, I got, I got stuff to do. So I'm going to bring in somebody with a little bit more time who will then handle the administrative things that I can't handle. And that's why you appoint a special master. Unless, of course, you're Judge Eileen Cannon, Federalist Society weirdo, at which point <laughs> you appoint a special master to help out your patron, Donald Trump, uh, delay everything for as long as possible. Uh, and then you monitor the docket like a hawk. And, you know, and the Latin word is sua sponte. But what that means is neither Trump nor the DOJ had asked Judge Cannon to rule on the case management order at all. Donald Trump just complained about it in some of his filings to Judge Deary. And, uh, and Judge Cannon swept in uh, and completely changed the order. Utterly unprecedented. Um, I know. I'm sorry. That was a huge long rabbit trail, but 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 people need to not forget that. Anyway, please. Yeah, <laughs> and and we will talk more about yeah, 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 about yeah. Judge Deary and his fascinating three page order from, from <laughs> days ago. Uh, but uh, three things that came up in this article uh, from Hugo Lowell that and and I like the way that he presented this. He presented it in a different manner than most of the reporting that we've seen on this. The first thing, and I, I, I'm going to list them, and then I'm going to ask hmm. you about them individually. What your sure. thoughts are. The first one is that according to sources familiar with her testimony, I guess, or, you know, interviews or whatever, under penalty of perjury with investigators, is that uh, Evan Corcoran directed her to sign this attestation that all of the documents were handed over in June. Mm -hmm. The second thing, she asked Evan Corcoran twice to revise the language in the mm -hmm. attestation. <laughs> She's like, I'm not signing this unless you say to the best of my knowledge, uh, which means she has some doubt, right? And and where does that come from? And I'm assuming that's a, a, a rabbit hole that investigators went down with her. And then the third thing is, and I love that he asked this in, in The Guardian, Hugo Lowell, because this was my first question. Well, if he wrote it and he, you know, didn't want to revise it, why didn't he sign it? Why didn't he sign it himself? Uh, and, you know, why did Bob agree to sign it? Christina, bad. So, <laughs> uh, question <All> right. <laughs> one. Evan Corcoran directed her. Now, does that put him in the hot seat now? It it, it absolutely does. So, my good buddy, Evan the Cork, um, he, here's, let's telescope back out a little bit because this is something where you really deserve a tremendous amount of credit. Uh, I had sent you uh, over the weekend a Politico story about Christina Bob uh, getting her own lawyers, right? And you were like, oh, yeah, I, I, was on, I was on top of that a week ago. Where have you been, Torres? Um, and, you know, to which Italy. the answer was, hey, hanging out in Italy, right? Cut, cut me a little bit of slack here. Um, and and uh, that the point of that article was to infer uh, what now has been specifically reported today and that is, uh, if, if you want the top line takeaway, and, and we're going to, you know, <laughs> it's me, so, you know, we're going to deep dive into a lot more than that. Uh, but the top line takeaway is Bob has flipped, right? Bob is fully cooperating with 
FBI, DOJ investigators into the Trump Naralago case. Uh, she should be considered a government witness at this point. And the groundwork that was laid for that, and, and I just want to parse this out very carefully, is she began speaking in public and saying not just, right, that there was no attorney-client privilege, but but saying, hey, I'm a member of Trump's legal team, but the reason they brought me into, quote, the documents thing, end of quote, that's how she put it, not me, uh, is because I was not a lawyer on that side. So they had me come in and be the custodian of records. And again, she said this twice publicly. I was not legally, I was not acting as a lawyer in reviewing the documents. I was there to certify that the, uh, that the process had been followed. And let me take a second to kind of explain what a custodian of records is and, and the significance of that. Um, and, and I'm actually going to work backwards a little bit. When you hire, we've done, one of the things you and I have talked about a lot on this show is just because you hire a lawyer doesn't make the thing you're doing privilege, right? Uh, I'm a lawyer. We're doing this show together. This show is not attorney-client privilege. And one of the reasons the show isn't attorney-client privilege is because I'm not acting in a legal capacity on this show, right? You and I are chatting about political events. Um, lawyers do that kind of thing for clients all the time. And when they are acting in a non-legal capacity, when they have not been asked a legal question and they are not rendering legal advice, that's not attorney-client privilege. That's just your ordinary stuff, right? In the same way that, like, you know, you you ask your director of marketing, you know, hey, what what how many downloads were there on cleanup this week? Right. And and you know, if I ask you that or right, like that that doesn't magically become privileged because I'm a lawyer as part of that conversation. So the very first thing Bob said was with respect and has said in public uh, and presumably to the DOJ, uh, with respect to the documents being gathered, I was not acting as a lawyer. And that's huge because if she's not acting as a lawyer, there are, there are no privileges to assert. Um, yeah. But, but uh, Hugo actually brings up the fact that she probably might, might not have even been asking, uh, acting as a custodian of records. He said, it's I, it, not clear why she was willing to sign the declaration as the custodian of records when she never fulfilled such a role, according to these sources, and appeared to know there was risk in attesting to a search she had not completed herself. That's right. And we're going to talk about that particular certification. You and I have talked about it before. It's redacted. We, we, uh, we, we all know, right, it is an open secret that under that redaction, is the name Christina Bob, but you know we have had to previously say you know we suspect that that is attorney uh, uh, Christina Bob. But so a, a document custodian is kind of exactly what that sounds like, right? Like this is this is something that comes up in uh, my day to day job all the time, right? Like when one company sues another, and you want, for example, all the emails in or out. There's a breach of contract over the manufacturing of widgets. And so I serve a discovery request and I say, I want all your emails from January 1st, 2019 through the present uh, in and out of the company about widgets. And uh, you then conduct a search and you will have a custodian of records, right? That the company will put up as, a, and it's 
Rule 30b-6 of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, uh, as the person who is responsible on behalf of the company for having gathered and supervised all of the documents, right? Um, and and that person or persons uh, is a way to take, because, you know, Mitt Romney taught us corporations are people, my friend, uh, but, you know, you, you need to know who the actual people are within that sort of corporate fiction, uh, and, and do they speak with the authority to bind the corporation? So here, it's slightly different because if, if you look at that certification and, you know, people have been sort of parsing the language in this because it's a little, it's a little odd. <laughs> um, the search warrant affidavit was supported uh, by various pieces of documentary evidence. And one of those pieces of documentary evidence, the reason we know any of this, was the prior subpoena, right, issued May 11th to Donald Trump. And the important thing here is it was issued to the custodian of records at the office of Donald J. Trump at Mar-a-Lago. And that's the one that specifically said, uh, you are to give us, right, any and all documents or writings in the custody of Donald J. Trump and or the office of Donald J. Trump bearing classification markings, including but not limited to the following, right? And then it lists 90 different kinds of classification markings, top secret, secret, confidential, top secret slash SI slash G slash no foreign, right? You know, and I'm not going to go through all of that. We've talked about this on the show. So basically said, give us all the documents that have any classification markings on them. Now, notice again, that is independent of Trump's story of, well, I declassified them all in my brain. doesn't matter. It bears a classification stamp on it. It is therefore responsive uh, to this subpoena. And in response to that subpoena, that's where we had the famous uh, red weld envelope that was taped over in triple tape and marked, you know, hugely confidential. Nobody should look at this ever uh, that, you know, that had about 50 documents in it. Uh, and accompanying that, you don't just, you don't just hand over the folder of documents accompanying that you issue a certification. And that is the person to whom the subpoena was directed says, I've given you everything that there is to give. Right. Yeah. Well, it sounds and, like Evan Corcoran didn't want to be the custodian of records. So they made her the custodian of records slash ball guy and had yep. her sign it. She asked for a change in the language twice. They did yep. it because, you know, she knows that, that that's obstructive behavior. But and, this, and, and perjury. Yeah. But that modified language limits her culpability here. It really kind of reduces it because, you know, she and and this was one of my main questions, because, mm. you know, a lot of folks are saying, well, you know, she flipped. Why would somebody flip without having any pressure on them, right? Unless they just don't want to have anything to do with anything um, and just want to tell the truth. But she doesn't strike me as that kind of person. I, I don't think, I think that perhaps changing that language to best of my knowledge gives her a little bit of an out uh, from an ironclad to my knowledge because she didn't search the boxes, right? Uh, yep. And I think that that probably lets her off the hook for a convictable charge of obstruction of justice, 18 U.S. Code 1519. However, from what I understand of the law, and you know I've talked about this quite a bit, there's also conspiracy to commit obstruction of justice, where two or more people uh, have the same goal, there's an overt act, 
And one of them doesn't even have to be in on all of the knowledge of the crime. And so she seems to, by just signing it and asking for the language to be changed, she seems to implicate herself in conspiracy to commit obstruction, which is only a three-year, not a 20-year max like obstruction is. But I think that that is probably the criminal culpability, in my eyes, that gave the Department of Justice and, and FBI investigators leverage to get her to cooperate. Am I anywhere close on that? Because there are some folks who I've talked to saying they probably don't have enough to charge her for even conspiracy of obstruction. And so I guess my grand question is, do you have to have the same standard to charge someone, you know, obtain and maintain a conviction as you do to get them to flip? Is the standard the same? Because would you have to then call their bluff if they decided not to, you know, if they Peter Navarro'd you? <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a great caveat at the end there. So let's, let's work backwards through all of it. The answer to your question is, it depends on the individual and it depends on how scared that person is, how, you know, my reading of this situation is, and again, it is, I have no insider knowledge here. So I've got everything to go on that you have or that any of our listeners have. To me, this looks like somebody who smelled something fishy, right? And let's talk about those two changes that were made to her certification at, at, at Christina Bob's request. And again, this is somebody who has never, to, to my knowledge, never been a practicing attorney, right? Has a law degree, uh, but, you know, has been a bobblehead on OAN, right? Like uh, no actual practicing legal career. Nevertheless, right? enough of a knowledge of the system to say um, that I want the, instead of uh, a based on information personally known to me, she changed that certification to say, based upon the information that has been provided to me, I am authorized to certify on behalf of the office of Donald J. Trump the following, right? Diligent search has been conducted. Uh, it was after the receipt of the subpoena. Any and all responsive documents accompany the certification and no copy has been retained, right? So, that's what she certified. What I'd love to know is if she asked Corcoran, well, why don't you sign I it? would love to know that. <laughs> and, and what he said in response, like what his bullshit response was. Well, I'm a, I'm a, he might have said, well, I am actually a lawyer on his team, so I can't be the custodian of records, which might that, have led her to say, I'm not an attorney. I'm just the custodian of records. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And, and, and by the way, you know, we talked about how that is Christina Bob disclaiming attorney-client privilege with respect to Donald Trump. That 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 would potentially invoke privilege on behalf of of Evan the Cork, right? Like it it there at some point somebody gave her legal advice, uh, and she can still assert that that kind of uh, privilege over the legal question of the significance of signing this. So you know if Evan the Cork said. Um, Hey, because it's a law thing and, you know, I'm not going to testify to its truth or falsity, then she she cannot, right, testify maybe, as to as to that. But um, maybe she can say she had an attorney-client relationship with the Cork. Yep. With Corcoran and and say that that's privileged and that's where yep. we come with the crime fraud exception uh, not yeah, that's that out. And that's exactly right. And that that would then get to uh the the sec the second change that uh you know, pretty smartly was made was 
uh, at the the actual certification itself says, I swear or affirm, it omits under penalties of perjury, but it is under penalty of perjury. And that and that doesn't matter. You don't have to spell that out, right? That the above statements are true and correct to the best of my knowledge, right? So again, um, you you typically in when a when a witness uh, will sign an affidavit, right? They will say, "I affirm to the following facts, you know, that the following facts are true to the best of my knowledge." Uh, but but they are describing what they know personally, not what they know in a corporate sense. So by carving out and saying, "Hey, this is information that was given to me, not information that I conducted myself." And so it's true insofar as I know it's true, right? Um, that opens up, and, and you are 100% correct, uh, the question of is there a, a crime fraud exception to Evan the Cork saying, hey, I, I, I need you to sign off on this as the person? Um, because she's free to testify. Y- yeah, no, I, I wanted that language i insisted that that language was made to my uh declaration because i I didn't do the work oh well who did do the work that's evan corcoran right Mm -hmm. she can point the fingers uh she also mentioned our friend boris epstein um (laughs) our friend the dumbest human being alive boris epstein and the Uh, most hated lawyer on that team from inside sources (laughs) Uh, but uh, and, and by the way, um, and I and I think you 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 told me this, uh, and and uh, and other folks have confirmed. Um, Boris Epstein was the person pushing the, as far as I know, uh, the Judge Raymond Deary is you know secretly from his years on the FISA court distrust the FBI, and that's why we want to go get him uh, as a special master. Now again, you know I've only heard that in rumor, but. Boy, was that a swing and a miss if that was uh if that one's on Boris's plate. Uh, yeah, so, which also makes me think, dude, they actually think that those seventeen FISA errors like are so bad that they overturn the entire uh, FISA warrant. That's hilarious to me. I it could be a lot of idiots. So, bottom line <laughs> on your question, Christina Bob uh, has has a lawyer has no deal uh, and is just freely talking. Uh, right now to the DOJ and the FBI. Uh, and um, at this point, from from my perspective, um, where she's really hanging herself out here is uh, on our good friend 18 USC 1001, right? That's where the DOJ will move to prosecute her, in, in, in my view, if the story she tells looks like it starts to fall apart, right? It will be, hey, you came in and talked to us and you gave us materially okay. false so statements. Maybe not the threat of a conspiracy to obstruct, but the threat it, of a future potential charge of lying to us about what you did. Right, and 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 the way to figure out how that happened is how did she get in front of, of the DOJ, right? Did they call her and say, hey, you know, you're in for potential trouble here because you it's redacted, but we know you signed this, and this certification is a lying sack of shit, right? Like, and you know it's a sack of shit, and we're coming after you. Um, did that, you know, induce her to say, I swear to God, I didn't know anything about I wasn't acting as a lawyer or anything, and I'm gonna come in and I will tell you everything I've ever known and point all the right. Like, that could be that's that's one possibility. The other possibility is that, you know, she's being proactive here 
And she looked at it and was like, oh, this is a this is bad, right? Like I signed a thing that said I turned over all the documents and maybe and maybe she did, right? Like maybe she yeah, did not and, know. You know, maybe right? she was like, hey, and I changed the language. I better go in and make sure that I point that out to them. Uh-huh. Like, hey, I, I didn't I, do this. <laughs> You can talk to Evan the Cork and you could talk to <laughs> Boris Epstein about this because they're the ones who told me that, you know, I because I was I didn't search the boxes. I'm not going to sign shit saying that I can guarantee something if I haven't fucking searched if, the boxes. If you don't do the search, that is exactly right. And again, uh, but if I, you say you did the search, I'll sign a document saying you told me you did the search and found nothing. I'll sign that. But I'm if you and then did did she say, let me search the boxes? And they said, no, like, <laughs> like, what? I, that's all of those details I, yep. are things that she could potentially get herself in trouble with in a 1001 charge or just come straight forward with. She did mention, according to these three sources now, yep. uh, both Corcoran and Epstein. And I got uh, you know what? I, I have a little bit of a bet, a little bit of a wager. Ooh. Uh, I don't think, maybe starting in a couple of days here, that we're going to be seeing Evan Corcoran's name on any more fire. He's been... <laughs> He's been adamant because, you know, Bob dropped out and got a lawyer. Right. But, and other people we know from some public reporting and the rifts in the Trump legal team have been telling Corcoran, you need to withdraw and get a lawyer. And he's been like, no, nonsense. I'm good to go. He's been like defying that. But now that she has has dropped his name in a DOJ investigator to investigators under penalty of perjury, he might want to reconsider. I. Yeah. So short answer, yes. Long answer, yes. Right? Like, look, look, I am not a criminal defense attorney, right? So take this with a grain of salt. Everyone knows that. But if if Christina Bob came to me and said, hey, I'm real nervous about this because, you know, I signed off on a document that said we gave you all the classified stuff. And then in the kitchen drawer next to his passport were a whole bunch of things that had, you know, classified written all over. And like, have you seen that picture that they attached to, you know, to the search warrant? Like that looks real bad. What do we do? Or maybe somebody told her, Hey, that, you know, maybe some secret services, dude, I've seen other documents. Don't sign that. Maybe a friend of hers, maybe, maybe she was part of the, uh, mountains of evidence the Department of Justice gathered to find that there were still documents not pursuant to the subpoena at Mar-a-Lago. She could have been part of that evidence. Yep. Uh, or somebody who told her not to sign the thing could have been part of that. We don't know. There's so many details that we don't know. But I think the main takeaway here is that she is now cooperating. Well, no, no agreement in place, but she's talking to the Department of Justice, dropping names like Corcoran, and uh, and and Epstein and backstop by 1001 and and that is limiting her legal liability here and putting it directly onto folks like Corcoran and Epstein uh, higher higher up the chain and and so yeah i mean just to just to conclude that thought my advice to her would have been what what i anticipate her actual lawyer's advice was which is oh they don't care about you at all right like if you go in and cooperate and mm-hmm. tell them everything you know, we I, I that's why we're going in without a cooperation agreement, right? Like we're going to go in, we're going to chat, we're going to make sure that you are in zero likelihood so long as you tell the truth, right? Of ever facing any kind of criminal charges. And if I were representing if I were a friend of 
uh, Evan the Corks, right? I, I, I would be giving him 80% of that spiel. I, I, again, I got to speculate, uh, but, but I think his friends uh, in, in the Baltimore legal community, and it's, it's kind of shocking. I mean, I, I truly do not know Evan Corcoran. I don't think he has any friends. Everyone hates well. him, and so they're probably not giving him any good advice. They're like, fuck Possible. that guy. We all <laughs> hate that be. guy. Um, but, but, but if you didn't hate him, you would, you would say to him, like, hey, man, you know, trains leave in the station. Yeah. And, and you have the opportunity, you know, to give uh, the, the FBI some information before they indict you just because you've been a pain in the ass, right? Like, because you're the one, by all accounts, who, who did draft this certification. And that's a higher level of, of, of scienter, right? Like, that allows you to infer for uh, any crime that requires, you know, an improper purpose um, to say, like, yeah, well, when you say, I hereby certify that a diligent search has been conducted, and then a subsequent search shows in the kitchen cabinet, you know, you've got documents with, with classification markings, you know, either, either you didn't do a diligent search or, or, or you didn't, you lied about it, you know, and, and, and juries make those kinds of determinations all the time. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And the other thing I would be advising Bob, if, if I were her lawyers, is Mm -hmm. I would say, go talk to the DOJ, tell them everything that you know, you know, pers- you know, with regard to this case, uh, and and your he- position in it, because she's she could also be implicated, and she was at the Willard on January fifth. She was on phone calls about fraudulent slates of electors. You know, there's other things that you could pressure her with, possibly. But you know, just tell them what you know about the documents case, and then once you testify, let me know what you said. I'm gonna go to the press, and I'm gonna put our story out first, so that no one yeah. can come and backspin it. And I think that that is where, and you know, I haven't asked particularly my friends what the sources are, nor if would I tell anyone if they told me what their sources were. <laughs> uh, and I haven't, but I, ha- I just want to let everyone know I haven't had those conversations. But what I think, and this is very common, and you can attest to this is that the, the, the lawyers for Bob will want to get out ahead of it, will want yep. to, you know, draw first smoke or draw first sting, or I call it lubing the truth, get out ahead of everything and, and make sure everybody knows your side of the story before somebody bad can t- come in and try to corrupt it or give uh, an alternate, uh, f- alternate facts about, about what happened and what your role was. And so that's uh, what I believe happened here. So that would be my last point of a bit of advice to her. And yeah, my same, my <laughs> same advice to ever Evan, the cork dude withdraw. I told you this weeks ago, bro, withdraw, get a lawyer, get a good lawyer, cooperate. Who the fuck are you? What are you going to do now? <laughs> Nobody likes you. People on your side don't even like you get out, write, like, be a hero, write a book. And maybe you can end up on CNN as a commentator later. Like that's, that's your only way out of this. That's good advice, bro, man. You should have it, buddy. You should take it yet. Yeah, no, remember all of these folks, right? When we're talking about anybody who, you know, is, is blowing the whistle in the larger sense from, uh, you know, inside Trump land, um, no matter how good the stuff they're telling us now, remember that they've been party to treason, right? So Christina Bob is part of, and has acted as an attorney has, as, as, as has Evan the cork on big lie cases, right? She was there at the Willard on January 5th. 
Um, these aren't these are not folks with clean hands, uh, and uh, you know the the ability to get out and sort of uh, imply uh, and you know I, I said imply, but I mean directly state to the DOJ uh, and FBI of hey hey you don't you're not interested in me right you're interested in my boss um, that 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 feels like there's a limited time window on that. Right. And if that closes, yeah, (laughs) you'll settle. Something we also don't know is, you know, with her participation in the fraudulent elector scheme, which is in full swing under investigation of the Department of Justice, she may already have been brought in under subpoena to speak to them about that. And we don't know. Uh, So, you know, although I assume her lawyers might have put that out in the in the press as well. Uh, but there there could be, like you said, these aren't hands clean people. There could be other things that they're being threatened with. But I think the, the backstop of the 1001 charge is probably the best. Uh, and, and she is smart to go in and, and spill the beans, as it were, uh, to, to keep to limit her legal liability in this. Because, you know, I, again, like you said, they don't they don't give a shit about you, Bab. They don't want you. They're not going after you. You're not the target in this investigation. So be a good witness. And we'll help you out. Um, yeah. All right. Speaking about helping people out, let's talk a little bit about <laughs> Judge Eileen Cannon and what Judge Deary did. And I want to preface this by saying one of the f- main reasons two weeks after the uh, the search at Mar-a-Lago that Trump filed his... Uh, I'm going to suffer from irreparable harm if you don't give me back the stuff that doesn't belong to me argument. One of the main things that he wasn't able to argue, but, you know, we know Judge Cannon sort of threw him a few lobs, right? Some cans of corn. Like, hey, you should try anomalous jurisdiction. Or, or, hey, you know... Uh, this to me looks like, you know, with these things. And one of the things that she said that she said tainted the entire Department of Justice, everyone who works for it, all their investigations, all the documents that they took were that was that three of these documents they ended up with included some medical records and some personal tax documents and, uh, some other, you know, parts, there were like three things. And she used those three things to say, well, everything could be tainted. So we need a special master to go to go over everything cuz I don't like your filter team. The guy, the guy who heads up the filter team works for Jay Bratt, who's the head of espionage. That's like, look, there's only like three people in the world who can even fucking look at this shit, lady. So why don't you chill out? And 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 again, let me interject. Law firms do this sort of thing all the time. You segregate and you have lawyers who are not on the case come in and review as part of the taint team. Uh, and then, uh, you know, hand off the materials when they're done. I've been on a taint team before, right? And so you could say the same thing about that, right? Like, which was, oh, I was a junior partner and the trial team was headed up by somebody who, you know, was uh, on the management committee and was therefore theoretically my boss, right? Like, controlled how much I got paid every year. No court on earth would have drawn an adverse inference from that, right? Like, this no, is just did, standard right? lawyer practice to not only draw that about lawyers, right, but DOJ lawyers in particular is to sign on to the Trump theory of, well, the DOJ hates me. You know, this goes all the way back to the, you know, Peter Strzok emails and everything. I mean, it's just 
it is it is nonsense. It is insulting, and it is you know it it started off as a dog whistle, and it became a regular whistle from Judge <laughs> Cannon. And it is it is it is it's why I had to jump in because this is not normal. This is not what judges do. I'm sorry. Please go ahead. No, it's okay. I, I'm pretty sure everyone agrees with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just want to keep the level of outrage at its appropriate point, which is. 11 out of 10. I understand. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, you're definitely, uh, 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 yeah, volume 11 on this. Um, so the so she kind of handed that to him. Like, hey, we can't, you, you know, you brought up you can't trust the DOJ. Maybe it's because of these three documents. And the Trump team was like, yeah, those three documents. That's our irreparable harm, which they actually didn't even make that argument. She made it for them and saying, you know, this could cause irreparable harm because, you know, we don't know. They took medical records, blah, blah, blah. And so uh, her whole, almost the whole basis for a special master rests on these documents, these three particular documents. And as it turns out, because of a docketing error, <laughs> we learned that the medical records uh, that, that she say could po- poison the whole thing was actually <laughs> that crazy letter that Trump had drafted up from some foot doctor in Brooklyn or something right. that said that said that Trump is going to be the healthiest president ever elected. He made that letter public, yeah. so it can't yeah. cause Healthy, him Healthier than harm. Teddy Roosevelt. Like, come on. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, and so, so, but anyway, that's that's what moots that as, you know, potential. The reason he didn't make an irreparable harm argument is because he doesn't have one, because he released this shit to the public. The tax documents, et cetera. And so what happened is, in Judge Deary's order, is he said, all right, well, the DOJ was already willing to give those back, plus all these other documents. You give those back to the, you know, to Trump team uh, on October 10th. And like I said, DOJ was willing to give them back like 30 days ago. But Cannon was like, no, 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 we have to. And so so they're, he's going to get them back. And that, and I'm, I'm bringing this up because, you know, I read the Empty Wheel blog, and, and she said, look, that erases any potential harm even though there wasn't harm because these documents have no harm attached to them uh if he doesn't get them back uh it 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 erases their whole you know trump's whole argument that he didn't make that that judge cannon handed to him and so there's no more potential harm uh here which means there's no need for a special master and and i think it's interesting that judge deary asked for that to be returned to donald trump prior to the deadline that doj has they set for themselves uh this friday the 14th to appeal you know the broader appeal to the to the 11th circuit about the entire special master appointment although i don't even know if they're going to argue that we've talked about this before i think they're going to come they're going to you know, come out of the gate on jurisdiction, equitable jurisdiction, which she just didn't have in the first place, because you can't, as they said, as you know, have equitable relief for inequitable acts, inequitable behavior. And again, that goes back to my my uh, example of the crack dealer who flagged down police for her crack deal gone bad <laughs> and said, help me out. He stole my crack or he stole my money. I can't remember what it was. I want the crack uh, bag, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, Dude, yeah. we can't, you know, give you legal relief for illegal activity, and that is what this whole jurisdictional thing rests on. And she, like, you you know, you pointed this out in her minute order a long time ago. Hey, I don't know, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Why are you in my court? Do you have equitable jurisdiction? Do you have anomalous jurisdiction? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. 
which they never argued. So she made she established this weird equitable jurisdiction thing. All you know, they just didn't take the hint. Uh, so I, you know, I'm not sure what DOJ is going to argue. I think it's going to look a lot like. Uh, you know, their previous shorter appeal for just the classified documents, but I think they're going to go heavy on equitable jurisdiction. But they could also say, hey, the whole special master is moot. Trump got the three documents that Judge Cannon said wrecked the whole thing. He's got them back now. Everything's fine. Can we chill? Yeah. Um, so let's work backwards from that. What the DOJ's brief to the 11th Circuit is going to look like, and this is an expedited brief on the merits of the appeal that says uh, we should not be here at all. And the reason that the DOJ moved to expedite that appeal on the merits was because of what we discussed in the A segment, right? Judge Cannon intervened, overturned uh, Judge Deary's own case management order. And the sole reason to do that was to prevent Donald Trump from having to certify, uh, having to to fill out an affidavit that says, I attest that these records fall into the these specific categories, right? Because that would be evidence, right? That and they say, hey, we did the super emergency shit for the classified documents because they're classified. Yes. There's a national security thing, and that risk assessment is hugely important, and it is inextricably linked to the criminal investigation. Let us have that shit, please. We are filing a notice that we're going to file a broader appeal, and now their argument for the broader appeal uh, aside from jurisdiction and standing, is, uh, hey, we're still doing a criminal investigation. It's still important. It's urgent. It's not as urgent as national security, national defense information, classified documents to national you know, security risk assessment. But it is essential to our criminal investigation that we have these 11,000 other non-classified documents because they are also evidence of potentially of a crime, including obstruction of justice and concealment of records. Um, you know, just not the espionage. That was the, you know, the classified documents deal. So, yeah. and, 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 and let's we, give, let's give a concrete example of what is in the detailed uh, inventory uh, that, that would fall under that would be, for example, the blank folders that have, uh, the inscription on it that says confidential information to be returned, right? Those are not documents bearing classification markings. Those are empty folders. You So they are technically not within the scope of the 11th Circuit's very narrow grant of relief. But nevertheless, they're the kind of thing that if you were uh, the Department of Justice, you might attach to a warrant, right? You might attach to an affidavit to get a search warrant or, you know, even an indictment that says, look, like the fact that he had a folder that said, these are the documents I have to give back. And there was nothing inside that folder leads us to believe that they've been moved somewhere. So we'd like to search Bedminster, right? right. And again, I have no idea if that is what the what what the FBI and or DOJ are thinking but that's an example of where you would want to get uh the the additional onerous effects uh of Judge Cannon's order uh dismissed out and so and another one well, let me yeah, I hate to go, interject go, but yeah, yeah, another reason because I know those aren't classified documents but they are related to classified documents because they you know could be about missing classified documents but another example is when the DOJ takes people to court for stealing classified documents there's this thing called SIPA, which means you can't, you know, ha put the classified information out to the court 
uh, because it's so you would be revealing classified information, human intelligence resources, stuff like that. And so the way that they prove is that they show, you know, documents redacted with classification markings intermingled with personal effects to show that that person had possession of these documents. And that that is one of the ways that you yep. you show that possession in court without actually just revealing what's in the classified documents. And so pursuant to the criminal investigation into the missing classified documents and obstruction of justice and concealment of documents under 2071 and 1519, vice versa, uh, you, you need to have that other proof to show possessory or, you know, possession that, that they had, you know, they were in the desk drawer with passports. Here's, yep. here's, and, we, and you have to actually have those non-classified documents in your possession in order to prove that as the, DO, as the Department of Justice. So they say, hey, it's still our executive thing. Executive privilege doesn't matter here because we are the executive branch. And one of the uh, executions of the executive branch is criminal investigations. And always in the history of court forever, 100 percent, criminal investigations take precedent over the criminal wanting their shit back. So it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just yeah. uh, that's that's what I think is going on here. And I think that that will also be in this appeal. They're going to talk about how why those 11,000 non-classified documents are urgent for their criminal investigation. I I agree. Two quick points. The first is, remember, the, the only, the third statute that is referenced uh, in the subpoena and then later the search warrant uh, is 18 U.S.C. 793, and specifically 793E, uh, and that those cases are often made on the back of just commingling uh, sensitive information with regular information, right? Sticking it in your desk drawer, throwing it in the dumpster, that sort of thing is as we've talked about. So the 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 non-privileged documents themselves are part of the evidence that is used to prove up those cases. Yes, uh, I, have, and, I have many leather-bound boxes of classified documents and <laughs> and and clippings, newspaper clippings, yeah. uh, uh, clothing items were found right, in right. there. Like I, I just have this vision in my head. If you've seen uh, Dodgeball, a true underdog story, of course. When uh, Rene, his his bodyguard, walks into his office, White Goodman, played by Ben Stiller, and he's he's about to masturbate with a slice of pizza. <laughs> he's about to put it down his pants and then give himself electric shocks or something. I, that is what I imagine Donald Trump doing <laughs> with these classified documents. Uh, okay. That's I, that... what's in my head. Every time I see that scene in Dodgeball, I'm like, dude, that's Trump with classified documents right there. Sure. <laughs> All right, that's going to make it a challenge for me to get my last point out, but I'm going to try and end on it. And that is, I, I think, I think pizza and electrified nipples notwithstanding, uh, that that you are correct, that, that what you do when you get a ruling as good as the ruling uh, that, that the DOJ received from the 11th Circuit on uh, their limited request, um, you parrot that back at the court, right? And you say, oh, hey, you, you know, really smart judges uh, like you wrote this. Um, and 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 the this, right, featured prominently in the analysis of, we, look, everybody here agrees that the case, because there, there, there have been very few cases that deal with equitable anomalous jurisdiction. And the case that applies here is one called Ritchie versus Smith. It's from the old Fifth Circuit before the 11th Circuit was ah, spun off this, from the Fifth Circuit. Is this the Ritchie factors, number one yeah. of which is there have to there has to have been a callous 
uh, taking away of somebody's constitutional Did- rights, and and the the court was like that didn't even happen, and no case has ever been decided without meeting the first Ritchie factor. So, dead dead on, exactly right, right. So Ritchie says you only get these kind of weird scenario when the government has already not just violated your constitutional rights, right? Like that's, that's a pretty high bar, but shown callous disregard, right? Because, because think about it. The reason this goes back to your crack dealer example, the reason you need that to gatekeep this sort of filing is exactly what we've seen in the wake of this filing, which is Stuart Rhodes now wants uh, a special master plan. Everybody who's ever going to be arrested in the history of ever, right? Like, guess what? Like, when the cops come by and seize the evidence, they take a bunch of your stuff, right? And so that that's just part, you know, you, you don't want the cops taking your stuff, like, do your best not to get arrested, right? And 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 so... And and that but Andrew, works. how have we survived without every single criminal case subject to search warrants without a special master assigned to each one? How have we ever well, ever well, survived? And, and and here's the answer, right? And the answer is, right, do do people sometimes wrongfully get arrested? Absolutely. Like that happens. You and I are on the civil libertarian side of that. We are we are sensitive. But but that's but actually there's other relief. Yeah, that's the whole point, that. right? Yeah. Is that is that th- that's actually something that is resolvable within the ordinary process, right? And that is, um, if you are, you know, whether rightfully or wrongfully arrested, but if the government takes your stuff, right, and you deserve to get that stuff back, and there is after you're charged. That's exactly right. Federal rule of criminal procedure 41G exists to allow you to get your stuff back. And that's what Trump should have to follow. But there's a tiny little subset of oddball cases. That's why this thing is called anomalous jurisdiction. You and I have talked about, you and I have covered the anomalous jurisdiction part. And that's why it exists. And that's why Judge Cannon was like, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And they didn't fucking pick up what she was putting (laughs) down. We could all see it. I'm not even a lawyer. Right. They cannot fit within that. And the 11th Circuit just sort of laid that bare. And they're like, look, I, I don't. And, and essentially what they said and what I think you will see uh, in the in the DOJ's filing on Friday is, is um, look, y- you haven't begun to lay out the case that says, why shouldn't we just treat this like every other search warrant that's been issued in the history of ever? Right. Mm-hmm. What what makes this different? And what Trump said, and, you know, you and I went through it from the very beginning was, well, it's me and I'm the former president and the DOJ hates me. And, yeah. and you know what? Like, that's not good enough. They must show want callous disregard for your constitutional rights. And then, right, you have to you win the other injunctive factors. You have to show irreparable harm. You have to show likelihood of success on the merits. All of that stuff. But, yeah. I have to say, in the the previous you know, um, stay that the 11th Circuit granted, staying her stay, uh, the stay of the stay, um, was based on on that. You know, I mean, they're unitary executive theory people, right? And so they said, yeah. look, 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 they're, they basically said there's no jurisdiction. There's no equitable jurisdiction here. 
and so therefore we grant. And so, like you said, in this filing, it's going to be the same thing, but for a broader range of stuff, parroted back at them saying, hey, that, that what you said about not having equitable jurisdiction applies to all this other shit, too. Just cancel her whole thing. Put, remand it back to Reinhardt if you need to or whatever. But what you said there does apply here, too. I, you know, I can't see it not. Yeah, I, I, I think that's I think that's exactly right. So I think you are going to see a very, very technical, uh, boring, you know, delightfully so from my perspective as a I'll make it I'll a, make it exciting. Yeah, uh, but but you, <laughs> it'll be exciting for me because I love that sort of stuff. But but from the rest of us, it is going to be a low key, low energy analysis of the the Ritchie case and it, it, you know if I were writing it it would be every case since 1975 uh, that has cited Ritchie and it would just say look like the the 11th Circuit has recognized that you never ever wind up in this position at all uh, when you just have an ongoing criminal investigation right yeah we we shouldn't have been here. Federal courts are courts of limited jurisdiction, and this judge just invented for herself uh, jurisdiction uh, for, you know, we're not going to get into why she did that. Uh, but you guys are conservative. You guys are in favor of, uh, you know, unitary executive, you know, yeah. a, a, a unitary executive theory and also, uh, you know, a limited uh, role for Article three courts. Um, that's that's consistent with your vision of limited government. We should have uh, this case should be thrown out because there's no jurisdiction. Uh, yeah. And I think they're going to do that. And it'll, I think it'll be an easy win, too, because it's like everything yep. you said about jurisdiction over the classified stuff applies to jurisdiction over the non-classified stuff. Everything still applies. Yep. Uh, and, and there will be a there'll be a long argument about the, what the Presidential Record Act says. And I know Trump will come back and say, oh, but the Presidential Record Act says it's mine. And they'll say, no, it's access to. And the 11th Circuit said, look, they they parroted what DOJ said back to them, which is, look, just because the Presidential Records Act doesn't, you know, it means you can you can have access to them, but no possessory interest. You can't. Uh, access is not possession. <laughs> yeah. So they'll I think that'll be in there. I think it'll look a lot like their original appeal for the very narrow stay it'll just be uh, applied more broadly to to the other things that that all fall under the jurisdiction uh that that she just didn't have in the first place so we'll uh, we'll cover that next week when you're back right. in the country my friend <laughs> and I'm well this was clean. a lot of fun so yeah it was good to see you and i hope you had a wonderful wonderful birthday abroad I did. It was fantastic. I will tell you all about that offline. And, you know, maybe the next time we have a uh, patron hangout, which is going to be awfully soon, uh, we will, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll answer some, uh, some questions about what I did in Monaco and all of that good stuff. So uh, uh, we can, uh, we can hang out. It's been far too long. We love hanging out with our patrons. And uh, if you want to support the show, head on over patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod a i s l e four five p o d and give us a buck come on you know we uh dad i did this on my vacation allison does this from a <laughs> hotel in cleveland like if that's not worth you know four quarters to you then uh you know come come on you, you know i know you're so. thinking like come on lemon we all want to flee to the cleave but some of us <laughs> have jobs to do 
I uh, all right. I did not even rage against Cleveland knocking Tampa Bay out of the baseball playoffs, and uh, and you know I I bleed Tampa Bay Rays blue. So um, that's that's how far I was willing to overlook this uh, injustice in in light of uh, in light of how much I, I love you dearly. So were you born in Tampa Bay? Oh no, I just I I'm okay. Just well, see, I fan. was born in Akron, and so being downtown <laughs> Cleveland when a walk-off home run happens, and also having to have you know be from Cleveland, I think I win. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I am sorry about your raise. Uh, it's okay. It's hopefully right. we can. Hopefully we beat the Yankees this week. Um, I and I root. I root for yeah anybody playing the Yankees. So you know, <laughs> all right. So episode ninety two next week it'll be October nineteenth. We will have a hearing. We will have a couple of filings. We might even have a decision. We will see you next time. I've been Allison Gill. I'm Andrew Torres, and this has been Clean Up on Aisle Forty Five. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joel Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. I'll clarify a little bit. I think people were a little bit confused. I, I am on President Trump's legal team. I do work for him on election issues. I was never on the legal team handling this case, just to be clear on that, which is why, you know, I came in as the custodian of records because I wasn't on that team. Right. So I just want to want to clarify for people that thought I was doing both. I was not. I've never happened. They might be giants have been on the road for too long. Too long. And they might be giants aren't even sorry. Not even sorry. And audiences like the shows too much. Too much. And now they might be giants are playing their breakthrough album Flood. All of it. And they still have time for other songs. They're fooling around. Who can stop They Might Be Giants and their liberal rock agenda? Who? No one. This happens to pay for with somebody else's money. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. 
expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.